Today's episode of Dog Nation Daily is brought to you by Kroger, fresh for everyone. Presented by DogNation.com, this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. Here's your host, Brandon Adams. So obviously the theme of today's show in so many ways is going to be a preview of G-Day, what we expect to see happen on Saturday. We'll do some of this from a recruiting standpoint with Jeff Sintel here in a little bit. There is a pretty simple thing that I'm kind of looking for from tomorrow, or I should say I'm excited about seeing tomorrow. I think the remnants of this will show up, and it's a little bit different than maybe previous G-Days past. I'll talk about that here in a little bit. But let me kind of begin this way. I think some of what's interesting about tomorrow is actually not what takes place between the white lines. I think some of what's interesting about G-Day tomorrow, assuming that you know we have decent enough weather that it's kind of a normal experience, I think some of what's going to be interesting about being in Athens tomorrow for G-Day is the kind of mood around the game, the mood of the fans about being back in Sanford Stadium again. After all, the last time we were there, uh, so many of us anyway, was in January when the parade and the championship trophy celebration was taking place. It was almost uh, a surreal experience for many people because it was just such a happy day. So cool to be, you know, that many people there in that moment celebrating this thing that we had craved for such a long time, Georgia winning a national championship. And in a lot of ways, because the chase for that had gone on as long as it did, 40 plus years, and you've heard all the jokes about that. It did, I think, in so many ways, kind of give Georgia a little bit of an identity. Georgia fans, you know, the way we all kind of gather together and kind of become this idea of Dog Nation, not just the website, but the group of people that make up Georgia football fandom, the identity of Dog Nation prior to this past January was a program that was really craving a national championship and really wanted uh, that title. And and unfortunately, there was kind of a pocket of those Georgia fans that probably had kind of come to expect the worst, you know, bad luck to befall at like the worst, worst possible moment. But but that that want, that desire to be national champions, that want, that desire to put that trophy on the trophy case had really kind of come to define a lot of folks who we would think of as making up what we think of as Dog Nation. And yet, starting tomorrow... That era is kind of over. And all of a sudden, I think tomorrow on Saturday when we show up for G-Day or if you're watching on TV, we all in some form or fashion start to begin a brand new era for the program. And I think and maybe your read on this is a little bit different than mine. Maybe your sense of this is maybe a little different than mine is. But I think right now there's a little bit of a weirdness in the air of What does it mean to be not just defending national champions, reigning national champions, but the team that's kind of gotten that monkey off its back, the program, better said, that no longer has that huge, almost uh, unreachable goal that it's chasing? All of a sudden, now that you've got that, how do you redefine yourself now that you've accomplished what for 40-plus years you'd been trying to do? And Georgia's by no means the first team in sports to to have to to do this. I remember – uh, you know, in the like early 2000s when the Red Sox were first getting good. You know, Red Sox had been clearly defined for a long time as kind of a lovable loser type team. You know, they had the heartbreak in 78, before, essentially before I was born. I certainly remember the 86 World Series, the ball going through Bill Buckner's legs and some of the other stuff that had happened over the years where like the Red Sox were just dying to win a World Series, finally did that. Then all of a sudden, you know, you kind of break through in a big way in what, 2004? And now all of a sudden you kind of go from being the lovable loser to, you know, as big a payroll as anybody bringing in big free agents all the time winning multiple world series now instead of being the you know the david trying to slay goliath now you're your own version of goliath and i think that did become a little weird for red sox fans there for a while the chicago cubs much the same way a few years later finally broke through won the world series they haven't had the same sustained level of success that the Red Sox once did, but all of a sudden, the thing that had defined Cubs fans for more than 100 years, hey, want to get back, win the World Series, it was a joke. Like, when I was growing up in the 80s, movies made fun of this. Everybody talked about this, the fact that the Cubs would not win a World Series, had not won a World Series, and for a long time that remained true, but it's no longer true. They have done that, and so in the aftermath of that, there has been a need to to redefine all of that. And for Georgia, kind of much the same way, it begins the task tomorrow 
starting with kind of the unofficial lead-in to the 2022 season, of now needing to redefine itself here a bit. And for whatever reason, college football doesn't really do the notion of lovable losers the way that like baseball would have with the Red Sox and the Cubs. That's just never quite been a thing for college football. So I don't know that Georgia necessarily had the lovable loser tab you know, connected to it uh, prior to all of this, but you can't even, but even if you had a temptation to want to do that, now you can't do that. Georgia is the bull of the woods. They are on top of the college football world. And so I think as Georgia fans show up for GA tomorrow and try to figure out, okay, so what does this mean going forward? I think it's important to note that just because Georgia has accomplished what it's set out to do, that doesn't mean it's accomplishing is done. That doesn't mean it's accomplishing of things is necessarily over. And I almost get the sense there's an element of which I've told you now before a few times that I think that Georgia, as far as like the national conversation goes for the upcoming season, I think that Georgia is a little bit underrated, a little bit undervalued right now. For those of you who are thinking about like future bets and, you know, national championship picks or playoff picks, something like that, I've kind of felt in comparison to some of the other teams that's out there. Uh, that Georgia might actually be a pretty good play for the upcoming year. Maybe not a surprise to hear a Georgia host of a Georgia podcast say something along those lines, but I kind of feel that way. But I guess here's the other thing that I'm kind of starting to come to maybe uh, notice for the for the upcoming season, this upcoming weekend with G-Day looming, and maybe I'm wrong about this. Maybe you're feeling on this a little bit different than mine. But not only do I feel like that Georgia is maybe underrated from the national perspective by media and folks like that, I almost get the sense that for some Georgia fans, this team is also a little bit underrated right now, that, that there is that little bit of, hey, you know, been there, done that. We got our national championship. And all of a sudden, there's this natural expectation of, well, maybe this 2022 team will kind of go back to being what we've typically thought of Georgia as being. But I don't think it has to be that way, nor do I think mathematically uh, many folks are expecting it to be that way I mean here's the simple point I want to make and then we'll get ready to talk about some other stuff I think as you show up to watch this Georgia team play on Saturday at G-Day the dress rehearsal for the upcoming season I think it's important to know that you are watching a team tomorrow that is very much very much in line to potentially win the national championship again in 2022 the ESPN FBI data came out yesterday preseason Georgia's ranked number three that's the same spot they were ranked a year ago I think it becomes easy to forget this that ah Georgia had a historic defense in 2021 uh that's why they won the national championship they don't have that anymore you're gonna have to figure out something to do when you don't have that historic defense but I don't know that necessarily people were talking as much about that historic defense before the season began last year. As I said before, it's not like it was obvious that Georgia would win the national championship. For the most part, most of the media was not doing so. If you'll remember, we had Peter Burns from the SEC Network on the show last summer because he was one of the few people that actually was saying at the time that Georgia was going to win the national championship. They were only preseason number three in the kind of analytics type stuff that I just mentioned. Well, that's the exact same spot that Georgia finds itself again here this year. I would say that Georgia's overall chances of winning the upcoming national championship aren't wildly different this season than they would have been a year ago, even though from the perspective of looking back on things, it seems like Georgia has so much to replace. There were actually big questions being asked about Georgia going into last season that were emphatically answered during the year, and possibly the same thing could happen this year as well. In fact, let me show you this here for a moment. I mentioned the ESPN FPI data for a moment. Now, listen, you know, over the course of years, I've decided that I probably care less about some of this analytic stuff than I used to. The advanced stats, the baseball world kind of calls this saber metrics, at least it used to. I used to be pretty interested in this stuff. I try to talk about some of that kind of stuff on the show. I've just decided that it's probably not worth the attention that I once gave it, kind of backed off of that a little bit. But at least from a conversational standpoint, sometimes it can be interesting. Let me show you this from ESPN Stats and Info. This is, according to their playoff predictor, the chances of making the playoff for the upcoming season. You see Ohio State at the top of the list. They have, an, according to ESPN, an 82% chance of making the playoff. Alabama comes next on that list. They have, according to ESPN, a 79% chance of making the playoff. 
But Georgia is number three on that list. According to ESPN, the playoff predictor with a 73% chance of making the playoff. That is well ahead of anybody else in the sport. Clemson comes next at just 59. Texas, laughably, is after that at 21%. They may That may speak to the weakness of the Big 12 more than anything else. Notre Dame's at 18%. Obviously, they've gotten a free pass the playoff before. Can't deny it. Couldn't happen again this year. Then you got Michigan at 15%. We saw how overrated they were a year ago Oklahoma's at 13 percent new coach there don't forget that then you got Pitt at 10 percent Utah at 5 percent so some of this you know list is obviously pretty laughable but you do see a cluster of the top three teams in the country well ahead of everybody else which does include Georgia at a 73 percent chance of making the college football playoff now you may say well B.A. How do they get that number? What does that even mean? The honest truth is, I really don't know. I'm guessing that you probably don't know there as well. But generally speaking, I can't say that it's wrong. Generally speaking, when you look at the chances of Georgia being back in the playoff, given the schedule that it's playing, given the level of talent that it still has, I think all of a sudden you're looking at a team that I would say is more likely than not back in the college football playoff again, whether it be as an SEC champion or an SEC runner-up kind of traveling the same kind of path it did a year ago I'd say the odds are greater that Georgia is in the playoff for this upcoming season than it's not and then after that we'll kind of wait and see what happens so the bottom line here and then we'll move on and talk about something different is simply this that tomorrow Georgia starts the task of redefining itself it's no longer the program that's been chasing a national championship Kirby Smart is no longer the coach tasked with bringing that unobtainable goal to the Bulldogs that's now been done the page has been turned on that and now when you start writing the next chapter of Georgia football lore you start talking about Georgia winning one again maybe even as soon as this upcoming season and on G-Day tomorrow I think you may see a glimpse of a few reasons why the possibility of that happen is far greater than maybe some have given it credit for being. My name is Brandon Adams, and this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans presented by Kroger. And glad to have you with us today, no matter how you get to us, live on video, 10 a.m., Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, Twitch. We also start at 945, what it's worth, with our first and 15 at dognation.com and on the Dog Nation app. We're on the radio every day at noon on App and Sports Radio 960, the ref. And as a podcast, wherever you find them, including the world-famous DogNation.com, but also Apple, Spotify, and everything else in between. And we're brought to you by Kroger here today. Now, tell you a true story. So we've had just a really busy time in our family the last couple of days. Just a lot going on, various things. And sometimes what that leads to is when you're leaning into a holiday like Easter, which we get a chance to uh, enjoy this weekend, you're like down to the wire. and You know quite everything you need. And trust me when I tell you, you know, there's all kinds of stuff that's going on in my house for Easter. A lot of painting of eggs and you know, things along those lines. And my wife last night was able to stop in, went to Kroger, and, like, she just finished off the entire list. I mean, like, I, I'm just telling you right now, when it comes to taking care of business, getting ready for Easter, we have already done that at Kroger here already this week. And so I invite you to do the same thing there as well. In fact, not only can you get the list finished off, you can save big there as well. About 30% on some of those Easter essentials, like plush toys, housewares, decor, so much more. You can go in store and do your shopping on this, or you can find it out online, Kroger.com slash Easter, Kroger.com slash Easter for more on that. So for those of you getting dressed up on Sunday for the pictures, uh, whatever else you got going on, uh, certainly get, hope you're getting ready to enjoy a great Easter time of year. I love this time of year. Love the chance to be with my family during all of that. And obviously with my Dog Nation family tomorrow for uh, G-Day. A little weird to have G-Day and Easter the same weekend. They have typically tried to avoid that this week, year, I guess, not able to avoid that. But going to be a great couple of days uh, of football tomorrow, of Easter on Saturday. And of course, uh, thinking about Good Friday, of course, here today as well. So all of that on tap for the weekend. Jeff Sintel coming up in a moment. We'll do more of the weekend with him, including from a recruiting standpoint of who you expect to see there, how that plays out. You know, some chatter about a couple of, you know, pretty big name wide receivers on hand for uh, the weekend. Uh, that's kind of cool stuff. So we'll do a lot of that with uh, Jeff Sintel here in just a little bit. Before that, though, let me do a brief version of Around the Doghouse. And when I think about what I'm excited about seeing, we've by now we've talked about so much of this, right? We've talked about, you know, the 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 chatter around Eric Gilbert, what you hope to see from him. Really excited about that. Dominic Blaylock back from injury. Really excited about that. The fact that I think this Georgia running game this year could be really good, you know, seeing in kind of a starring role, if you will, for Kendall Milton and and and, and Kenny McIntosh and, you know, Deshaun Edwards. 
I'm, I'm very interested in, in all of that. But I think there is one thing that's almost like hiding in plain sight. It's almost somewhat invisible that to me, as a, as a guy that cheers for this team, that wants Georgia win games, there is something that I take comfort in right now for Georgia football that I think that is way different than maybe what some previous G days would have been. There is a level of stability with this program in one key area that I don't think has always necessarily been the case for Georgia. I'm talking about an offensive coordinator. I think it was a very big deal. And in fact, as I'm saying this, I'm thinking back to a year ago. If you'll remember last season, going into last year, when Georgia held on to Dan Lanning, Lanning could have taken a big paycheck and gone to Texas or whatever else. There'd been some chatter. He might become Kansas head coach uh, at one point in time. But the fact that Lanning came back to Georgia last year, we treated that as a very big deal. We said, hey, that's a level of continuity that Georgia can really enjoy. And sure enough, uh, helped pay off to the tune of a national championship for the Dogs last year. Well, now Lanning has moved on. But this year, I find myself feeling the same kind of way about Todd Munkin coming back for year three as offensive coordinator. We're just in a day and age where keeping these coordinators for you know, multiple seasons like that is just not necessarily an easy thing to do, nor should it really be much of an expectation that you can keep a competent and capable offensive coordinator for three years. That just doesn't happen a lot. But now for Georgia, that's the case. And all of a sudden now you talk about an offense that has taken in both of Munkin's previous years. 2020 was a huge step forward from where 2019 had been. 2021 was a huge step forward offensively. Almost every statistic tells that story from where Munkin's first year had been in 2020. Now it's coming back for 2022. So think about previous G-Days where, you know, Georgia's breaking in a new offensive coordinator maybe or trying to find a way to, you know, kind of kickstart an offense that maybe had been somewhat lackluster the previous seasons. And some of that conversation even predates Kirby Smart's time as Georgia head coach here. All of a sudden, that's not the situation for Georgia offensively. This was a team that played in the shadow of its defense a year ago. But to go back to a you know analytics metric that we used off the top of the program, according to ESPN FBI, this was like a top five offense nationally a year ago. This is an offense that averaged about 40 points per game last year. They bring a lot of what they used for that success back for the upcoming season, including the mastermind who was pushing all the buttons that led to that success. And I think you have the real possibility that whether it be you know guys like Gilbert and Blaylock coming back, guys like A.D. Mitchell taking the next step, incoming players who may have a chance to, to, to have their moment here, possibly even a transfer portal addition before the season comes around. One way or another, I think you're talking about a Georgia offense that has a chance to really be pretty spectacular for this upcoming season. And knowing that you show up for G-Day tomorrow with that level of stability in place where you get to just kind of be entertained by it, you don't have to be all that worried about it, I think that's actually pretty cool. In fact, one of the things that Kirby Smart was asked last week when he kind of doing his final press conference before G-Day uh, was what Munkin does bring to this team right now as he goes into his third year. And for Smart, it's pretty succinct. It comes right down to this, the fact that Munkin knows what he wants to do. Here's what Smart says Munkin brings to the table year three with the dogs. A plan. You know, I think a big part of offense is – is like have an identity, believe in who you are. Don't try to force your players into that. Um, I'll, I'll be, you know, be strong where you're strong and improve your weaknesses. Well, he knows what he wants to do. He knows how to package plays that uh, that, that, that work well together. Um, you know, be be who you are. And if your strength is at wide out, if your strength is at O line, your strength is at tight end, your strength is at running back, your strength is at quarterback, use it. And um, I think he's done a good job of bringing consistency in those areas and accountability to that side of the ball. I mean, I think that's really well said from Kirby Smart. There is a level of consistency that is there. You kind of know what you're getting game to game from a guy like Todd Munkin offensively. And I do think that expectations ought to be high for the Dogs' offense here this year. And I do believe that Munkin is the most important reason why. And this is not new for me. I've told you before, even when we thought the Georgia quarterback was JT Daniels going into last season, that the presence of a capable offensive coordinator for me, a system that works, was more important than the quarterback that executes the system. And all of a sudden now, you know, the Daniels era has moved on. The the Stetson-Bennett era, we're in the midst of that. But the same thing to me remains true, that it's really Munkin's influence. It's the play caller's influence that I think makes the the machine hum in college football right now. And I do think the Georgia offense is in certainly very good hands. And 
seeing what Munkin has in store for tomorrow, putting on a pretty good show, I would guess, with both the red team and the black team. I think that's going to be a lot of fun. That is around the doghouse. Let me remind you that we're going to have a bunch of fun ourselves tomorrow. I'm going to be live tomorrow morning at the Creature Comforts Tap Room. That's right there on Hancock Avenue. It's the old snow tire facility. We've been there before. We've done great things. Uh, but this time, we're going to be there with our friends at the Players Lounge. So I'm really excited about that. To be there with them, uh, we're going to uh, be on video tomorrow. Probably get going around 11 a.m. on video or so. But we're going to be there the entire time. The event itself starts around 1030. So you can show up there. Uh, Aaron Murray's going to be there. Keith Marshall's going to be there. Uh, Champ Bailey's going to be there. A lot of former Georgia Letterman going to be on hand. We'll be there having a good time. I'd love to say hello to you. And we'll do a live broadcast. We'll have some big-time interviews with some great former Georgia names. That's going to be really cool. We'll do that there coming up tomorrow before the game. So can't wait for that. And, of course, at our customary home, the UGA Bookstore, after the game there tomorrow, too. So we'll tell you more about all the big events of uh, G-Day weekend coming up. But just go ahead and make plans to see us before the game for our Kroger kickoff live with the Players' Lounge at creature comforts tap room coming up on saturday morning so we'll talk to you more about that then but for now also a lot of recruits on hand for saturday uh big name visitors a lot of folks looking forward to getting a glimpse of uh the georgia bulldogs here should be fun should be exciting let's find out more about that as we say hello to jeff Sintel right now here on dog nation daily presented by kroger glad to have him all of you with us here today From Athens and across the SEC or wherever the recruiting trail may lead, here's a DogNation.com insider. Well, so little Jeff Sintel here. Fun to have him as part of the program. Dog Nation Daily presented by Kroger. Uh, Jeff, also a big part of what we're doing for a G-Day there tomorrow. Jeff, good morning to you. Thanks for being here today, and I'm sure you're like me, excited about being back between the hedges again tomorrow, excited about seeing some football, seeing some recruits, and just generally speaking having a uh, fun football conversation here as we get a glimpse of what 2022 may be about for these dogs brandon good morning i don't know how many great tee shots you've seen today i don't know uh what we'll see tomorrow in athens um the ring the 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 the, 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 entry, the entry level the entry level for me about how the rings will happen might be pretty interesting if that actually happens tomorrow but uh you know man it's crazy i was thinking about this today or earlier this week it's already been three months since the national championship celebration. It's been more than three months. That's kind of wild. Yeah, it is wild. So let me ask you this. So are they giving out rings tomorrow? Because somebody told me they were. Uh, I had a reason to believe they might not be, but I've also talked to a you know a player too that at one point in time was maybe planning on not being in Athens. Now they are planning on being in Athens, but you're leading to believe, okay, what does that mean? They are, like, like, do we know about the ring thing? Am I the only one that doesn't know this? Because I will have to say that I don't know this. Uh, what, what is the story there on that? Uh, okay, to the best of my knowledge, I don't think I, I just dreamed this earlier this week, but I, I thought I've heard someone say that they're expected to give them out between quarters tomorrow, and it's going to be like um, a, a lot of the NFL. You know, come on, come on Brandon. Like, you know, sometimes you got to put one plus one and have that equal two. There's a whole lot of Georgia guys that – are planning to be in town tomorrow that maybe aren't doing anything NFL related. And, and when you think about it, you know how, you know, Kirby Smart likes distraction. He likes to avoid distractions on game days. Uh, and then you also got the other, the other qualifier here that it might be very hard to get all these young men together at the same yeah. time again. Uh, you know, I, I know people were, someone had offered up the idea that they do it in, before the NFL season starts, I just think that's going to be very hard to do. That's going to be in a game situation. Um, and, and, you know, for me, I'm actually, if it does happen in front of the world, I think that's an interesting ring reveal to me. I would, I would imagine that might have been the sort of thing that would have happened in a meeting room or behind the scenes or something like that. So, if the fans get to see that, if the fans get to revel and bask and all that, I think that'll be pretty cool. Yeah, because if they don't do it tomorrow, at least on a Saturday, you'll never get them all in the same place again at the same time. It's just almost logistically impossible to do. Now, I do think it'd be semi-cool if – you know how like they'll do the thing now where when guys have their off week in the NFL, they're almost always back in town. They'll call the dogs. They'll be honored like between quarters. Yeah. I think you could do a series of ring giveaways where it's like every week a few more guys get their rings. I think that would be pretty cool, just kind of a way to celebrate that you know, uh, over and over. 
But given the fact that Georgia plays a neutral site game week one, which is before the NFL season starts, that if you want to do a full team giveaway at the same time, if you don't do it tomorrow, if you plan on doing doing it publicly, you'll just – I mean, it's just logistically impossible. You'll never get this entire team back in the same place again at the same time. So I have a take about this. And, and Brandon, I'm going to say this. The bar has been raised by what the Atlanta Braves unveiled over the last 10 days. Now, Georgia's ring – has to come within the distance of Stone Mountain of that majestic ring. Now I know, yeah. I know it's a professional ball team with deeper pockets and deeper resources versus a college team. And we're going to, you know, we're going to air quotes amateur athletics here. But if this Georgia ring doesn't have some hedges on it in like, I, I don't know, in your favorite emerald color or yeah. if it doesn't have a, it doesn't display a visual hologram of the Ringo six, the chip six or the 80 Mitchell touchdown. It's got to have something cool like this because I didn't know we've advanced to the level of secret decoder rings or Dick Tracy watch where you can pop a, the lid on a ring open and it shows a diorama and it lights up with LED micro lights. So I would expect Georgia after 41 years that they, they, they didn't have as much time as the Braves to put this together with a turnaround. But I would, I, I would, I would imagine them to be pretty sneaky cool. Yeah, you know, I'm expecting like uh, Eddie the Blind Squirrel to be in like encased in diamonds. You know, if, if they want to do that, I'm, I'm more than happy to allow them to use uh, our intellectual property there on that. Uh, if that's what they like to put on the ring, I'm, I'm more than happy for that to uh, to be used there for that. But I am very curious to see um, what they look like. I mean, obviously these rings over the course of the years just keep getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And I got no problem. <laughs> Listen, this thing can be like brass knucks as far as I'm concerned. It can take up all four knuckles uh, as far as I'm concerned. They've earned the right to make it as big as they want to make it. Brass knuckles, that's pretty good. That's kind of like your wrestling stuff coming back. You know, instead of a ring, it's just going to be brass knuckles with maybe the, the diamonds encrusted on the side are not actually diamonds. They're, they're actually crystallized gator tears, something like that. I mean, that would be ideal for your program and your format. No, I think that's exactly right. Let me ask you one more thing before we kind of get into some of these recruiting guys. You know, how much does it impact the list this weekend that the game is Easter weekend? You know, for some fans, it's a little bit of an issue. You know, I guess the forecast doesn't look great, although I'm not an expert at reading uh, meteorological reports, so I don't really know what, what to expect tomorrow as far as like the rain goes. But how does some of that logistical stuff impact who is and who won't be there on Saturday? Well, Brandon, it's always a logistical uh, you know, snafu, nightmare, whatever you want to call it. Georgia's actually still competing with Alabama. I think they're having their spring game tomorrow. I believe South Carolina's having their spring game tomorrow. Yeah. Um, there's there's Easter, Brandon, but, it, man, it's always something, whether it's it, it, it's the Masters or there's always something that Georgia's spring games are in conflict for because it's, you know, well, spring. And I, I, think, I think the main thing with – Here's what's different, Brandon, and I, I, it's been so long that I think people have gotten back into what's comfortable and the norms. But remember, a year ago, recruits, if they wanted to visit for G-Day, they had to do so as a patron. And so we're still, I mean, people don't realize this. It, I need to, you know, kind of jog some memories here. Recruits have seen Georgia so much uh, since the, the dead period opened back up. Weekends of great visits and great visitors and everything else that, you know, it's another chance for them to come see Georgia, but they've got a lot of these young men are playing their official visits to Georgia in June or maybe even earlier than that. And maybe they just went to Georgia two or three weeks ago. Um, so it's going to be a good list. It's going to be some, some five star names on there, but I don't think it's going to be the, um, I'll borrow another reference that I know is near and dear to you. I don't think it's going to be a WrestleMania three card at the Silverdome type long, long list of marquee recruits on Saturday. Uh, yeah, you mentioned some of the five stars that are going to be there. I guess what Jaden Wayne, yeah, that's a five star from way out. What was he from? Way out west, Washington. Like like he's coming in. So you do have some five star type guys who are going to be here over the course of the weekend, correct? Well, this is a good one, Brandon. I, and we're going to test some Dog Nation top fan fandom right here with the Jaden Wayne story. So Tacoma, Washington, where he's from, he actually trains with the same organization, Ford Sports Performance that sent Keely Ringo to Arizona and then um, to to Georgia. Keely Ringo, most might know, is actually a Washington uh, area native, Tacoma area native. Uh, but it's 2,707 miles away. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to get everybody out there to do this quick lit, litmus test. Were you in Sanford Stadium the last time Georgia played a football game? Now, that was Charleston Southern way, way, way long time ago for senior day. 
And then do you plan to be at G-Day on Saturday? So if you cannot say two for two, well, then Jaden Wayne's got something on yeah. you, uh, friend, because he's going to be at G-Day on Saturday. He actually gets in today. He's going to be there through Sunday. And this is really a visit, Brandon, where, um, first of all, it's a phenomenal athlete, five-star DL. He, there was a point last year where he wasn't sure how much Georgia loved him, but then he, he really got sure after some, communic- some miscommunication. The staff, Brandon, really noticed when a, 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 an out-of-region, out-of-time zone, cross-country recruit comes and takes an official visit to Georgia, not one but two last year um, on their own dime, then that shows that this young man is not about taking some photos and just trying to get his picture in a Georgia jersey for his recruiting, you know, you know, tour stops around the world type, you know, photo spread on their Instagram. There's some realness there to Georgia and Jaden Wayne, and I think this is a chance where Georgia can make sure they get an official visit, one of his five official visits. Qualifying all that by saying, my friend, that Alabama is really huge in that recruitment, so okay. is Oregon and Miami to some extent. So I think Georgia's really running with some viable contenders there for Jaden Wayne. But it is a very good indicator. This this trip has been planned for a very long time, and he's coming out to Georgia again, bringing the family again. So if things can only get better. He's really connected with uh, Chadira Uzo-Daribe, the new outside linebacker yeah. coach. Georgia sees him as an outside linebacker edge prospect, even though that he's ranked by the industry at 6'5", 240 pounds as a defensive line prospect. Uh, great athlete, Brandon. He was a tight end. He's a wide receiver. He plays some linebacker. He plays some defensive end. I love this part, though, Brandon. He punted for his high school team. How about that? So anytime you can get a five-star edge that actually does double or triple duty as a punter, you know you got a really good athlete. And we've seen Alabama, of course, pull five-star prospects out of the state of Washington before. It didn't work out all that well, but they've they've won in that uh, state before when it comes to, to recruiting. Also, I guess one of the narratives that's out there right now when you start looking ahead is pretty good day tomorrow for Georgia when it comes to like wide receivers on hand. I guess there's been some chatter about like Hakeem Williams and some other pretty big-name wide receivers potentially being in the building. Is that the sense that you get that for a position of need for Georgia that tomorrow may be a little bit of a day to, to showcase the program to them? Well, I think the, the guys that are, that, are, that are planning to be in town, I think Gabe Harris is a name. Uh, another four-star edge out of Valdosta, one of those down south Georgia boys. Perhaps the most intriguing guy to me is Samuel and Pimba. Pimba, he's at IMG Academy, Brandon. And some folks in college football think he's a wide receiver. Uh, that's why he's rated as an athlete. Georgia views him as an outside linebacker, another six foot four, two hundred thirty-pound type, remarkable athlete that that can do a lot of things. Uh, Uzo Daribe is also recruiting him hard. And you know, side road here, Brandon. Chidera Uzo-Daribe is absolutely killing it on the recruiting trail. He's getting Georgia in with the, the folks that are the high-priority targets. I think he has radically changed, uh, and this is maybe something Dan Lanning was doing doing later in his career at Georgia last life cycle, where Georgia's going after a different type of athlete, that six foot five, six foot six guy, see Darius Smith, uh, that they just signed to play the outside linebacker position. So that's about – you know, maybe 20 pounds heavier and maybe three inches taller and longer than the Nolan Smiths and the Mikhail Sherman, yeah. the MJ Sherman Georgia was recruiting a couple of years ago. I think Georgia with receivers, I mean, Brennan, that young man, that young Manning from New Orleans can join the class and that could be all great and all. And I'm sure it would be celebrated and trumpeted, uh, till the days are come and gone. But the receivers that need to follow that young man are going to make or break this class. Uh, I got to mention a name here, Brandon, that I am absolutely uh, stunned by what's happening here. And this is a young man, Anthony Evans III. He's out of Texas. Now, he's not planning to visit Georgia until this summer. He, Brandon, he's currently a Sam Pittman, Arkansas commit. Okay. But Quincy Carter took him to UGA a couple weeks ago. He loved it. He's got some family ties to Georgia. Brandon, remember how when everybody got so excited about what Malachi Starks was doing in track season a year ago? Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, well, this guy, Anthony Evans the third, Brandon, he really doesn't even run the 100. He's trying to run the 200. He ran a 10.27 legal 100 meters this week. This same week, he also long jumped 24, 24 feet in like three inches. Super impressive athlete. I mean, he is in the 99.9th percentile of high school athletes, and you can run a 10.27, and you can uh, long jump 24 feet, and you can also earn an SEC football scholarship offer. 
that's an intriguing name for wide receiver that I want to, you know, kind of park in the back back door a little bit for a lot of guys because Quincy Carter's involved. He took him and kind of showed him Georgia. He has interest in Georgia. There's some family background and Brendan. That's as fast and as and athletic as it gets. That's 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 Arian Smith fast. That's yeah. CJ Smith fast. But you've also got a young man that can can do that long jump as well. And Brendan, when I ever when I ever I hear of athletes that are running the 100 and 200 that well and also long jumping like that, there's really one standard for me with that, and that's Champ Bailey. Because Champ Bailey had held a lot of these records at Georgia. I think Champ Bailey held the long jump record at Georgia still until Matthew Bowling broke it recently over the last couple of years. Um, the wide receivers, man, are so vital. I wrote about this week about how offensive tackle, which was already a priority, absolutely has to be the priority of this class, not just the wide receivers, because if you look at it very closely, uh, I expect a brilliant year from Warren McClendon again. I expect a great year from Broderick Jones. And I think both of those guys will be 2023 NFL draft prospects pretty high uh, should that, should that you know, 2022 season come to be, which is the, what it's trending. And, Brandon, that would mean zero starting tackles returning for next season. And really – Suddenly, Georgia's a little bit light on that elite All-American type tackle coming in the pipeline. We will look back on it and say it was very, very important for Georgia to sign Ernest Green the third last year when when most of the country thought he was a guard. And Ernest Green was, I wouldn't say stubborn, but he was very keen on saying, you know, I'm going to try my darndest to be a tackle at Georgia. And from the reports of what he's done so far in spring ball, he really looks like a tackle of the future in Georgia. I think that's right. Uh, let me finish with this because I'm on a slightly different topic. Obviously, Kirby tries to downplay the, you know, the the first year players, those early enrollees, and who may see it G Day on Saturday. But I know on before the hedges presented by Kroger on Wednesday, you did spotlight some of those guys that you do think are worth a little bit of extra attention on Saturday. So let's keep that conversation going here right now. Who are you looking closely at seeing? Guys that you covered as recruits will get a chance to debut as UGA guys tomorrow. Uh, number one, you got to think about the punter, Brett Thorson. If, if anybody wants to be like a smart guy at your tailgate and say, you know, out of all those young guys, I'm, I think this guy's going to make an impact. Well, the name better be Brett Thorson, the first name out of everyone's mouth, because he's the thunder from down under. Uh, the mighty Thorson swings a big leg out of Australia. And physically, the physical gift as well as the maturity, I think he's 22 years old, it's going to rival what Georgia fans were accustomed to seeing the last four years with Jake Camarda. Now, do I think he's going to have it dialed in? His accuracy, his directional kicking, his booming, hang time and all that. I don't think all of that will be quite there yet, because he's only been a punter for like two or three years now. But Brett Thorson, to me, is the most likely impact contributor because I think he's going to start uh, this fall at punter for Georgia. And then the names that trickle in, you're going to watch for number 13. Number 13 is going to be unlucky for opposing offenses. Eventually, it's Georgia. That's Michael Williams. Uh, Brandon, I, I did some numbers on Michael recently, and really there's only three guys that Georgia has ever signed, according to the, the composite all-time ranking, rating under Kirby Smart that were higher rated coming in than Michael Williams. One of those was Justin Fields. One of those was Nolan Smith. The other was Keely Ringo. Aside from that, Michael Williams came into Georgia higher rated, also with an accolade of being the Maxwell Defensive Player of the Year for National Defensive Player of the Year uh, coming into Georgia. That's that's another jersey to look for. Number four, that's Oscar Dell. He's looked great this spring at times. I don't know if he'll have the blinding speed that Brock Bowers showed last year as a freshman for Georgia, but I think he's going to be a dependable and viable red zone weapon. I think everybody else uh, under the early enrollee type guys, the type of guys people want to see. I'm going to mention number 71, Ernest Green the third again, as a guy that's caught up a lot of attention. And then, Brandon, think, think very closely and imagine what Dalen Everett might be for Georgia. That's number six. That's the five-star that was going to Clemson until Brett Venables shook up that situation with a Lincoln Riley move and took, took the Oklahoma job, and then, and then Clemson lost three five-star commitments, four five-star All-American commitments defensively that were really connected to Venables. He became a Georgia Bulldog. He's going to wear number six. Brendan, if you think about it, Georgia, even with uh, Julian Humphrey coming to this, this summer to Georgia, I don't know if he's an outside boundary corner, more of a star-type guy. Uh, and then you've got, you know, Jaheim Singletary coming in as well. But 
Georgia, even though it was a great cornerback recruiting class, the outside, you know, the outside lockdown boundary corner, I don't know if Georgia has a whole lot of uh, the player assets there that they would like to have. Mm. Another name to throw in there that is really that I've been hearing about him being physical, size, and it's one of those things that Georgia stresses that camp evaluation for the guy. Uh, Ja'Cory Thomas was a guy okay. that once Georgia got a chance to see him run and hit out of the secondary, um, they jumped on him really quick and they took his commitment. And that's another name that has had a very good spring so far. All that, Brandon, and I said all this about all these freshmen, and I know you're going to be like, well, what about Eric Gilbert? What's Eric Gilbert going to look like on Saturday? I think Gilbert is losing some weight. I think he needed to lose some weight. Um, I think when you watch him and when you watch him get a chance to shag some balls, you're going to get some glimmer. You're going to get some glimmers, and you're going to get some of those visions of the Gatorade National Player of the Year from a couple years ago from the state of Georgia. I think he's a very adept receiver. I think Georgia's got him working in his natural position at tight end, and I think he's going to be very, very tough to deal with for Georgia down the line. Jeff, great stuff. Thanks for being here. Looking forward to seeing you in Athens tomorrow for G Day. A lot of great coverage on tap all day long, and uh, we'll chat with you again here on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Kroger, very soon as well. All right, man. I'm trusting you. I'm bringing my raincoat and my rain gear tomorrow, Brandon. Don't let me down. <laughs> Appreciate it, Jeff. Thanks a lot. Let's take a look around the rest of the league. This is SEC Through. Jeff brings up a pretty good point. If it is going to rain, i got to go try to figure out where my raincoat is, make sure I've got that ready to go for tomorrow. Uh, good stuff from Jeff Sintel, and we'll get ready to transition now to the rest of the SEC here as we're cruising around the SEC, courtesy of Royal Caribbean. You know we have got a Royal Caribbean cruise that we've got coming up, and we invite you to have your own Royal Caribbean cruise there as well. Probably now too late to be on board with us. Uh, we have a lot of folks who will be on board. I'm excited about being with all of you. It's going to be a great time. And if you couldn't do that, go ahead and live vicariously through us right now, but then make plans to be on board your own ship here coming up very soon. As we head towards the summer, this is a great time to be back on the seas again with Royal Caribbean. And like, here's my invitation. You know, In an audience the size of ours, we have all different kinds of folks when it comes to their relationship with cruising. A lot of you have been on cruises many times. In fact, I hear from a lot of you all the time who are pretty regular, avid cruisers. For some of you, you're either cruising for the first time or maybe for the first time in a long time. And to that particular group right there, like my advice to you is, you know, maybe go out of the port that we're going out of when we leave uh, coming up on April 25th. Get on uh, one of those ships that goes out of Port Canaveral. The reason why I recommend Port Canaveral is it's just down the road from Orlando. If you're like me here in the Atlanta area, that's a very easy drive to get there. And, you know, it's, it's just probably the most convenient thing. And maybe if you're a first-time cruiser, maybe first time in a long time, you want to experience some of the really cool things that Royal Caribbean has going on right now, think about one of those, like, three- or four-night sailings. That's what we're doing when we go uh, on Independence of the Seas coming up on April 25th. But you get a chance to enjoy a lot of uh, really cool itineraries. A lot of those do include Perfect Day, Coco Cay, which you've heard me talking about before. Like, for instance, we're going to Nassau on the Bahamas, which I think is a really fun port to visit. I've done some really cool snorkeling excursions there. I've done, you know, Paradise Island. You want to go over and see Atlantis and some of that kind of stuff while you're there. You can do all that in Nassau. Um, and then after that, Perfect Day, Coco Cay, which you got to understand is exclusive to like Royal Caribbean cruise vacations, it's a private island that's only for those on a Royal Caribbean cruise vacation. There's a dock, you land right there. You don't have to like tender over, which you know some of the private islands you sometimes have to do. You don't have to do that at Perfect Day Coco Cay. You you get a chance to just kind of like go right there. You you enjoy the thrill side, the chill side, and everything else uh, that that Perfect Day Coco Cay is all about. So this is a great time to do that. We're uh, going to be on board here pretty soon, and you can be on board there yourself. Check out my friends the Cruise and Vacation Authority if you want to learn more about that. The Cruise and Vacation Authority, they'll help you get booked up for a great Royal Caribbean cruise vacation here in 2022. All right, a couple of things. Georgia's got its spring game tomorrow. Florida had its spring game last night. I think there's one really big takeaway from what Florida had going on last night, maybe a couple of other smaller takeaways. It was a big night last night for quarterback Anthony Richardson. His numbers were good. His team won the game like 34 to nothing. But here's what else I thought was also interesting when the game was over with. That Richardson was praised pretty heavily by Coach Billy Napier. This was not something that Dan Mullen always did with Richardson or really always did with Emory Jones. You know, last year at the end of spring, I think Mullen struck a little bit of a non-specific tone about what his quarterback situation was going to be. 
I think it's a very different vibe around Florida right now with the new coach, Billy Napier. It's pretty obvious to me, based on what both Napier said last night and what uh, Richardson did. I didn't watch the game. I just read about it this morning. I was watching baseball uh, for the most part last night. But pretty obvious that Richardson had a good day. It's a pretty obvious thing that Napier in Florida views him as their starting quarterback right now. That means the odd man out here is Jack Miller, the transfer from Ohio State. It appears that he's in line to be the backup. It does not sound like Miller had a great spring for Florida, not really making much of a push in the way towards the starting job. So part of what happened for Florida last night was not just a chance to see the new Napier Gators on the field, but I think it was Napier really looking to use that moment last night to build the confidence of Richardson. We've told you before that a lot of these spring games sometimes take on a little bit of a made-for-TV air to them. And I think that some of what Florida did last night, not that it manufactured the performance from uh, from Richardson, I don't think that was necessarily the case, but certainly the game itself, the the moment itself, was an attempt to manufacture uh, you know, some confidence around Richardson to really make him be the guy for the Florida program. And I think that's probably what Florida accomplished last night. They also had a pretty good crowd here last night, 40,000 or so on a Thursday night. It's probably not a bad crowd there for that. The other thing that I thought was kind of interesting about the the aftermath of the game is it does not sound like things are great right now for Demarcus Bowman, the former Clemson five-star running back signee who transferred to uh, to to Florida. But for now, it seems like he's almost on the verge of being overtaken on the depth chart by a running back that came to Florida from Napier's previous program there at Louisiana. So kind of interesting there that this is a Florida team that has not really run the ball very well in a long time. That was just not really a, after having been a pretty important focal point of the Mullen era in Mississippi State, never really became that big a part of what he did there at, at Florida. Obviously, that's one of the things that Billy Napier is going to be tasked with trying to change. But one of those high-profile transfers from a couple of years ago in the case of uh, Bowman, it seems like the transfer running back out of Louisiana may be ahead of him on the depth chart right now. So um, interesting stuff coming out of the Florida game last night as they put their first spring under Napier in the books. I saw where former Alabama wide receiver, this is a guy we've talked about now a couple of times the last few days, Jai Hall, who was pretty obviously in Nick Saban's doghouse. That's kind of an old school phrase to use, but it's pretty obvious that Hall had really fallen out of favor with um with with Nick Saban Saban just basically subtweeted him a thousand times with some of the comments that he used eventually Hall was suspended for a violation of team rules uh he was already kind of flirting with transferring then he did and I guess Hall's first visit upon entering the portal is to Texas and I told y'all one of these days this week that Texas is just a program that cultivates a lot of drama it's part of the reason why I don't think Arch Manning would go to Texas he may go to Alabama but I don't believe Manning will go to Texas because I think that Texas is just too dramatic. It's a little bit too much of a drama farm uh, for a guy like Manning. And the fact that uh, a guy like Hall, who clearly did not fit into the picture at Alabama at all, I don't think that George would have come within you know, uh, you know, 100 feet of Hall in the transfer portal. But the fact that like Texas is leaping at the chance to bring him in, this to me, once again, just feels like a very Texas thing to do. And listen, I don't know Hall's story. I don't know what happened for him in Alabama. I can't speak expertly on why it was that he never quite clicked on that roster and fell out of favor with Saban to the, to the degree that he did. I can't tell you why that happened. All I can tell you is it did happen because we saw all the aftermath of that. The fact that that Texas is not scared of any of that just sort of speaks to the level of drama they are comfortable with there. And I think part of the reason why that Texas year after year, regardless of who the head coach is, seems to underperform compared to expectations is because of that level of comfort they have with drama. They are just very happy being a dramatic program. <laughs> drama and success in college football don't always coexist well together. So we'll make that you know kind of a cruise around the SEC thing here. Let me also say this as we keep the conversation going that this is another kind of SEC-style story here, and I kind of tease this off the top of the program a little bit. And admittedly, I'm probably kind of buying into my own version of soap opera drama when I get into this, but it just seemed like kind of an odd thing uh, worth bringing up here near the end of a show on a Friday. So let me see if I can explain all of this. There has been a very weird overlap this week between LSU and Notre Dame. And not all of this necessarily has to do with Brian Kelly, who used to work for the Fighting Irish. Early in the, if you're watching a video, you see Kelly doing some of the goofy dancing type stuff. But earlier, I guess it was over the weekend, 
Marcus Freeman, the head coach at Notre Dame, brought in former LSU head coach Ed Orgeron to speak to the Fighting Irish. And Notre Dame made a big deal about promoting this. And, you know, uh, Orgeron gave a fiery speech about how I don't know when it's going to happen, but with this staff, this team, you are going to win it all. Uh, Notre Dame touts Ed Orgeron is saying. I mean, remember this. It's a little bit weird in and of itself that Notre Dame is is kind of hyping Orgeron here. For the most part, he resigned in disgrace from LSU. Uh, the fact that he's being like treated as like you know speaker with gravitas there at Notre Dame so quickly is in and itself a, a little bit weird. But nonetheless, that's what happened. He's got a relationship with Freeman. He's touting Notre Dame to eventually win the national championship. So the aftermath of that is this. Are you familiar with who Pat McAfee is? McAfee, uh, I know him as like the uh, color commentator for SmackDown who also wrestled on WrestleMania, but he's a very huge presence in terms of hosting a show, you know, on video and podcast, things like that. He's a very big kind of new media presence in the uh, world of sports, very popular. And McAfee, I guess, was tipped off to something related to Brian Kelly, the old Notre Dame coach, now at LSU about what might be a, a, a burner account and what might be some bad blood for Kelly, the old Notre Dame coach with a new coach, Marcus Freeman, despite the fact that Kelly hired Freeman as his defensive coordinator last year. Let me show you this on the screen, then I'll let you hear from Pat McAfee. This is what was sent to McAfee that apparently got included on Brian Kelly's Instagram story. Now, there's a guy named Robbie Espen, who I don't know. This is just a, you know, uh, a football follower who says this is what brian kelly just posted and deleted to his instagram story and it's a tweet from a guy named stinky 173 uh who says that any everyone is connected with sources inside the current program knows that the notre dame athletic director is retiring in two years that's jack swarbrick along with the president he says jack wanted to please the people so he didn't search for a coach and hired marcus hope he made the right choice but i doubt it and this same Twitter account, this uh, stinky whatever, whatever, has had like one of the tweet in the past, which was also a tweet like ripping Marcus Freeman, basically saying that, that high school coaches know that he's not up to the task of being Notre Dame's head coach or whatever else. And so what McAfee was saying on his show, and we obviously can't confirm this, McAfee can't either, but McAfee was kind of questioning about whether or not that this stinky one, two, whatever might be a burner account for new LSU coach Brian Kelly airing a grievance against the guy that took over for him at Notre Dame, uh, Marcus Freeman. This is Pat McAfee from his show this week. Take a listen to this. You think to yourself, well, there's no way, you know, that Brian Kelly would be this obvious. So then you have to go check Stinky 173-02153. Who do they follow? Who are their followers? So you look at who they're following. The first person that they are following, Brian Kelly. Wow, okay. okay. So then they follow Brian's son, Brian's daughter, Brian Polian, who is a Polian, who's a special teams coordinator. Uh, I don't know. He went to LSU with him. He was with him in Notre Dame. I know him from back in cold stays basically and he's a special team guy and basically everything else associated with the tigers down there so you automatically assume to yourself there's no way brian kelly would be running a burner account just burying coach freeman right that wouldn't be happening no way. No. but then he screenshots it allegedly and puts it on his own instagram story accidentally and then he has to delete it down we don't know if that's true because we didn't catch it when it was live up there but somebody reported it and that picture looks pretty damning but the internet can photoshop so is brian kelly stinky 173-02153 so listen I don't know here what's true and what's not. Here's what I do know. Brian Kelly needs to be very careful. This is like the third pretty weird story that's happened for Kelly since being an LSU coach. You're watching a video. You see some of the goofy dancing. I don't make too big of a deal about that. That's one of those things where I think he's trying to be so bad it's good. I don't think he succeeds. But the dancing thing, I think, is just, you know, we see a lot of coaches do some version of that. But the fake accent thing was horrendous. That was a major misstep. And Kelly's attempt to explain that after the fact was not very good either. And all of a sudden now you've got a very prominent, like, you know, million plus follower type guy in the sports media landscape suggesting that Kelly may have been using a burner account to air some dirty laundry about the guy who took over from him at Notre Dame. Brian Kelly needs to be very careful. There's a very good story up right now by Ross Dellinger at Sports Illustrated about 
Kelly in Louisiana, the culture shock of the Midwestern coach, New England background coming down here, not just to the South, but Louisiana, which is kind of its own separate culture. And there are a lot of people who speak very candidly about how, you know, it was kind of a, you know, a tense situation for Kelly when he first kind of came down here, maybe a little bit of an awkward exchange with a recruiter too. And all of a sudden now Kelly's trying to figure all of this out. The LSU program is one that wins national championships. They have with the previous three head coaches who've been there. This is a program that's capable of of doing it on its own. It doesn't need saving, but Kelly brings the kind of ego where you almost wonder, does he does he damage his own chance of having the kind of success the typical LSU coach has? I have to say I'm pretty fascinated by this right now. I'm pretty fascinated by the notion that Kelly could just simply blow all of this up because <laughs> – because of his own ego here and i don't know if he's using a burner account to rip on marcus freeman or not but i don't know that he isn't either so uh i don't know uh pretty odd times all the way around there let's also do this remind you that this weekend is a great time to be in athens told you about some of the stuff we're doing tomorrow morning but also at the UGA Bookstore, which is where we'll be after the game on Saturday for our Dog Nation postgame show, and that's always a lot of fun. But in addition to that, there are two big autograph signings that I want to make sure that you are a part of for the weekend. First of all, starting on, that's today, uh, from 4 to 6 p.m. at the UGA Bookstore, which is right next to the Tate Student Center. Remember, you've got two great former dogs, Thomas Davis, Isaiah Wynn on hand, and you've also got a guy that could be the number one overall pick in the upcoming NFL draft, Trayvon Walker there as well. Now, $30 for each autograph, and when you buy the autograph, they're going to give you a free 5 by 7 photo. So in other words, if you want to get something signed, the UGA Bookstore will give you something to get signed, that 5 by 7 photo, get a chance to get that autograph for $30. Trust me when I tell you, the Walker autograph is about to be worth a whole lot more than that uh, almost right away. And Davis is a great former dog. Isaiah Wynn was there as well. Get you some Rose Bowl stuff signed by him maybe. And then on Sunday, excuse me, on Saturday, uh, tomorrow, three members of the uh, national championship team are going to be on hand there as well. Jamari Salyer, Quay Walker, and Justin Schaefer, same deal, $30 for the autograph. They'll give you the 5 by 7 photo to get signed if you'd like to get that. That is an incredible opportunity to really celebrate with some guys that just brought home the national title and uh, be with them. I think that's really great. I, th- I think that's a, a really great thing to be able to see both uh, today from 4 to 6 p.m., tomorrow from 10 a.m. till noon, six former dogs, four of them from the national championship team, all on hand there at the UGA Bookstore. You can go to ugabookstore.com if you want to find out more details, but just go. It's right there next to Tate Student Center, right across from the stadium. That is going to be a lot of fun. Uh, let me also give you some golden shoes here. We'll hold off on the music just simply because we got a few of these we want to give uh, out today. Let, 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 me, let me start with the uh, first one here. So yesterday, one of the things that uh, I did was kind of put out on Twitter about a very cool thing they hung outside of our studio here, which was – you know, a nice kind of framed look at some of the AJC Dog Nation field editions. We give those out on the field after the game, and also a lot of fans had a chance to get their own commemorative version of those newspapers after George won the national championship. So I had a kind of nice uh, – outside of our studio, they put a very nice frame version of all of that. I shared that on social media, and a lot of you were kind enough to kind of share some of that with me yourself. Let me show you Stephen Kraft here, who's got a really uh, cool thing. He's got actually some of those field editions framed. He's got uh, Ugga biting the Auburn wide receiver that's framed some other good stuff there as well so i love to see guys like steven enjoying themselves here and finding a way to celebrate their national championship there uh with uga so good stuff from steven will make him a golden shoe winner for today our buddy brian at george boy 1900 much the same way very nice setup down in his basement he's got a lot of those same things uh uh hanging on his wall the big george g right down there what looks to be kind of a nice basement bar area cool lighting very well done by him there as well uh so uh, good job to o'brien and then uh drew uh allingslam also sends this there as well look at his setup he's got the national championship logo there on the wall lots of nice frame photos an entire collection of helmets it almost looks like something you see the college ball hall of fame lots of it appears to be signed baseballs uh and uh, look at those pylons those are autographed pylons mini helmets whole collection of uh big time uh full-sized helmets a great job there by drew who's he says i need to step it up if that's all i've got and he shows me what he has that's that's really very impressive by drew we'll give him a uh golden shoe there as well and then finally our buddy uh, mad dog also weighs in too 
with uh, the Florida spring game having taken place last night. Uh, Mad Dog says, how about a rare photo from the Florida spring game? Hashtag Gator Hater. It's the old image of the Three Stooges with Florida logos on them. Yeah, it's a little bit like what that Florida spring game probably looked like to a lot of Georgia fans last night. We will give uh, Mad Dog a golden shoe there as well. And we'll remind you as you get ready to enjoy some great fun here this weekend. You're doing some tailgating stuff tomorrow. Great way to do all of that with our friends at the Finish Long Drink. Talk about beautiful weather right now we've had great weather the last couple of days hopefully it'll turn out to be pretty good tomorrow but when you're outside enjoying good fun with good friends the finished long drink goes great with that it's just a great pairing with football it's easy to drink it looks like a beer because it's in a can but it's not it's a ready to drink cocktail that comes right there in a can you pop the top you can pour it into a glass you can drink it straight out of the can and just enjoy it you like to mix drinks you don't have to mix it yourself though you can get this from the finished long drink whether it's the blue can which is traditional has the gin kick the grapefruit flavor got long drink cranberry long drink strong eight and a half percent alcohol by volume long drink zero no carbs no sugar Really fun stuff from the uh, Finnish long drink. Uh, you're playing golf. It's at a lot of golf courses. You're at bars, especially in the Athens area. You can find some there. Or if you want to go to a beverage store and just have some to enjoy at home, if you go to thelongdrink.com and put in your zip code, you can find out where you can pick up some today. But trust me when I tell you, when you try the Finnish long drink, you're going to enjoy it. So check out the long drink online at thelongdrink.com and enjoy yourself some Finnish long drink as we head towards the weekend. So can't wait to see you tomorrow. Once again, a reminder for us, before the game, we'll do Kroger kickoff there at the Creature Comforts Tap Room. Uh, yeah, that's going to be a good time tomorrow. So I'll be there, Creature Comforts Tap Room. The Players' Land is going to be on hand there as well. That means you're talking about Aaron Murray, and you're talking about uh, Keith Marshall. You're talking about Champ Bailey. Big, big events there all day tomorrow, starting at 1030. They've also got a huge thing today with their golf tournament and their event tonight coming up at silver dollars so they've got a lot going on here this weekend i'm looking forward to being with them there tomorrow and of course uj bookstores got those autograph signings for you tonight and tomorrow that's going to be great games at 1 p.m and then we'll be at uh the uj bookstore again when it's all said and done for our dog nation post game show there as well so we hope to bring you a lot of interviews tomorrow we're going to bring you a lot of reaction what we see there on the field and having a good time doing all of that uh very very good stuff and a nice graphic there by our buddy michael to kind of wrap up the uh, week there on that front. So can't wait to see you there for that. By the way, speaking of the lousy stinking Gators, don't let their spring game distract from the fact it's been 4,845 days since they have won a national championship. And they're going to take another loss to Georgia 197 days from right now. That is our Gator Hater Countdown. We will see you in Athens tomorrow and back here on Monday for Dog Nation Daily, presented by Kroger. We'll look forward to talking to you then. And on the podcast, time now for the R.S. Andrews podcast, Cool Down. Of course, brought to you by R.S. Andrews. You turn to them for your air conditioning, heating, plumbing, electric needs. It means right now you're thinking about warm weather being here, warm today again in the city of Atlanta, state of Georgia. That means air conditioning units being turned on. And if you're worried about yours making its way through the spring and summer that's still on its way, get some peace of mind by getting your unit tuned back up to factory fresh specs. Just find R.S. Andrews online at rsandrews.com for more on that. Connor had a story up at dognation.com about ESPN's preview of Georgia's spring game on Saturday, and the writer for ESPN was kind of looking at the new-look Georgia defense, which is obviously a pretty obvious place to go for something like that. And I want to read this comment from Navy Dog, because this was interesting. Navy Dog put a comment in the chat there at dognation.com, the comment section there at the bottom. Here's what he said. I might get laughed off the site, but I don't recall having seen a monument carved in marble somewhere saying this defense can't be even better than last year's. I'm not saying they will. I'm saying that Kirby is never satisfied. Exactly what you want from a head coach to establish and keep an elite team, and it just keeps setting the bar higher and higher. He says, I I bet he never goes out there and says, hey, guys, can y'all be as good as last year? No, he demands better and better, which is kind of an interesting point. And here's kind of the point that I also made, I think, during the show today, which is that if you want to go back to last year, it's not as if Georgia started off the year with everybody saying, oh, this is going to be the best defense in the country and the best of all time. They were expected to be very good. But this notion that there was like this historic nature to the Georgia defense is the kind of thing that only began to seem true after the fact. It was not really predicted going into the season. Georgia didn't have a ton of first-team All-SEC guys. A lot of the players will be drafted in the first round of this year's NFL draft from that Georgia defense were not necessarily projected to do so uh this time a year ago that there is some of what georgia's success was last year that was kind of unexpected and so to navy's point you know i also would say it'd be pretty difficult for this georgia defense to be better than it was a year ago 
But much the same way you had guys kind of rise to a level of unexpected success last season, you could have the same thing this upcoming year there too. And when you think about why the Georgia defense a year ago was so different, obviously the individual performances made it so, but some of those individual performances kind of come on the heels of just being unlocked to do what they were capable of doing. That the, th- the thing to me that was always very good about Dan Lanning as defensive coordinator was his pass rushing mindset, his pass rushing mentality. He talked a lot about pass rush. As Lanning got more and more control over the defense here, I do think you saw an evolution from, like, say, what Mel Tucker's philosophy had been, where Georgia, I think, was pretty conservative defensively. In much the same way that over the course of years, some have said, well, maybe Kirby's too conservative offensively. There was a version of that on the defensive side of the ball, too. But I think that Dan Lanning helped usher in a new era for Georgia where great athletes were having were given a chance to go out there and be great and, and, and use their athleticism to get after quarterbacks. And all of a sudden you had better individual seasons for players. They're going to be rewarded with the NFL draft because of that. But if the Georgia defense was historic in 2021, and I believe that it was, it was the mindset with which it played that went a long way towards that being true. So when you think about 2022 – with you know Will Muschamp and Glenn Schumann having a greater influence over what's happening now and Lanning being gone, how good can this 2022 defense be? Some of that's related to the talent that's still here, but some of that's related to how much does Muschamp and and uh, Schumann, how much do they look to unlock the pass rush potential that someone like Lanning was always pretty keen towards doing? That's a, that's a storyline I think worth watching. And a good comment from Navy Dog on the story from Connor there at DogNation.com. Y'all have a great day. We'll see you back here Monday for Dog Nation Daily presented by Kroger and in Athens all around town for G-Day tomorrow. Uh, Happy Easter as well, and we'll look forward to talking to you again next time.